0: It seems to be a trend with this show's audience that most conventional topics never perform as well as the unusual. So to feed into your insatiable lust for the abnormal, I've got a guest today who's speaking about our past lives and how they impact the people we are today. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with the real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Krista Okon. During some routine oral care, Krista found herself having visions of Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany. She was understandably confused, frightened, and off-put by these intrusive memories. Over time, she came to understand that we as humans have an ability to tap into some highlights from the past lives we lived. You'll soon hear her description of how these seemingly unconnected people have far-reaching impact on you, even after their deaths. For long-time listeners, this isn't the first time reincarnation has come up, but it is most certainly the first to claim that we can access traits and memories from the other people we could have been. It's quite the thought process to engage in, and I highly recommend you come to it with an open mind. I'm not sure if this show needs to just lean into the more bizarre aspects of life as a human or not. What do you think? Do you listen for the career, life, and hobby advice? Or are you one of those that only shows up when the title says something unexpected and odd? Let me know by leaving a comment wherever you're listening, by sending an email to dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com, or by reaching out on your preferred social media platform. Let's dig into these lives we had before our birth. Welcome to the show, Krista Ocon.
1: Thank you so much, Colton Petri.
0: Thank you for being on the show. Why don't you kind of give an introduction about yourself to the people listening?
1: All right. Well, I am a 75-year-old attorney living in New Mexico at this time, and I have kind of an interesting story that I wanted to share with the world, actually, which involves realizing at the age of almost 30 that I had had this terrible lifetime in Nazi Germany where I did awful things, and I pushed it away for many, many years, as long as I could, and then finally it just was time for me to look at it more closely. And in the looking at it more closely, I began to realize that my current life was affected over the years by what had happened back then, but I was just simply not clued into it because I didn't believe in reincarnation, right? And once I did and saw the horror of it, it was like I did not want to look at it more closely. However, in in working with it and looking at it, I have come to the realization that forgiving yourself and others is very, very beneficial in terms of absolving some of the karma that we create. And we create karma in every single life because we are still learning individuals, right? And so we make mistakes. And our higher selves do not think of the mistakes as being horrible like we do here on the planet. They just look at them as mistakes and learning opportunities. But for us, in the middle of all of this, we think of them as the most terrible, awful things, not realizing that there are benefits to be gotten from even the greatest adversity.
0: So you had said this all kind of came around at about 30?
1: I was close to 30, and of all of the crazy things, I had a need for dental care. I had a need for a lot of dental care because I had been kind of neglecting my choppers. And so I was in a new town in Germantown, PA, and I had a friend who recommended a new dentist to me. I I had never used nitrous oxide while being at the dentist. I I didn't know about it, hadn't heard about it. And the friend said, well, since you're such a chicken when it comes to dental work, ask the dentist to give you some nitrous. And I said, well, what's that? And she said, it just relaxes you. It helps put you at ease. It takes away some of your fear. And so I did. And my body, it was so clean at that time. I didn't do any kind of drugs except cigarettes. I did do cigarettes. Uh, but because of that, once the nitrous started coming into me, I, it was it just hit me in such a profound way that in in a way that I had never experienced reality up until that time. And I came into the dental experience as an atheist. I had been born into the Catholic religion, and I had, at the age of 12, basically turned my back on it when the priest at the church told me to go home and change because I had come to church wearing pants on a really, really cold day with the snow piled high. And he said, young lady, go home and change. This is an affront to God, blah, blah, blah. So I went home and changed, not my clothes, but I changed into an atheist. I thought, I don't want to worship a god. That's going to make such a big deal of me keeping myself warm when i come to church right it just seemed completely ungodly uh, and so i come into this dental experience as this this atheist and all of a sudden i am seeing the entire body as pure energy every single system in the body is pure energy and all of the systems are cooperating with each other it's like they all All of the energy is conscious and aware that it's part of my body, part of this particular system and what it needs to do cooperatively with the others. And it just blew me away. I I was just like, I've been wrong. I have been wrong about the way the universe works. I came out of that experience completely transformed. And that was just the beginning because I needed a whole lot of dental work. I kept going back and back and back. And every single time that I went, I had another experience. So I was told things like why we need to perceive life in terms of pairs of opposites. You know, we're taught about good and bad. We're taught about uh, light and dark. We're taught about fat and thin. We're taught about all these different pairs of apparent opposites, which are really the other side of the same coin. But that's the way we as beginning consciousnesses have to learn, right? And so I'm I'm seeing the world being formed. I'm getting these amazing lessons about reincarnation. And all of a sudden, I'm being shown a piece of Hitler's life when he was a teenager. And he was so loving and kind and devoted to his mom, who was dying of cancer. In what I saw, he was down scrubbing the floor, fluffing her pillows, feeding her. He was so beautiful. His heart was so beautiful. And I'm thinking... How could this have been the same person and this is even true what am i seeing here why am i seeing this right i was so disturbed about that i was so disturbed why am i i thought it's because i'm german and my dentist is jewish that's why i'm seeing this right but that wasn't it so the next time i go back i'm being told you made a mistake and i am i am impressed with the fact that it had to do with nazi germany and so now i am really coming unglued about this. What mistake have I made? Who was I? When did this happen? And it was so horrifying to me that I just kind of pushed it away for many, many years. And it wasn't, mm, I would say, a good 20 years later, maybe even more, that I, I sought out the help of a Jungian analyst. And then she went with me through this regressive hypnosis experience so then i actually saw this guy fritz and then i studied who he was what he did i actually went to germany and looked where he lived where he was born you know places he had been um and that wasn't just that was only one of my past lives but that was the one that has impacted the present life the most as far as i'm aware and so i wanted the world to know reincarnation is real and it, there's bleed-throughs during this life. And you will find yourself uh, enthusiastic about things you have no idea why. For example, I was in my 650s, and I decided I really wanted to to learn to sail. No clue why I'm in the middle of landlocked New Mexico. Right. And suddenly, I'm ablaze with this passion for sailing, coming out of absolutely nowhere, right? So I sold my property, moved to Florida, bought a boat, learned to sail. And while I was doing that, I also wrote my first book, is a Fairy Tale for Kids. And in it, I created a character who is a merchant marine. And it turns out that this guy, Fritz, whom I had not yet uncovered at that time, had been a merchant marine before he was um, his boat was seized at the beginning of World War One, and he was imprisoned in France, having having committed no crimes, having done nothing wrong. He was just a merchant marine on a German vessel, and it was presumed that anybody on a a German vessel could carry armaments or supplies for Germany's war efforts. So everybody on the vessel was automatically deemed the enemy. Um, but that was another clue. You know, here's this presence in me or part of me that I'm trying to not pay any attention to, but it's, it's pushing its way through. Right. And so if we pay attention to these unusual kinds of stirrings and promptings, we can often get really, really good clues that there's some other aspect of us trying to talk to us.
0: So what is the background to this reincarnation? Like, does it follow a religious pattern or is it kind of in its own definition
1: i don't think it follows a religious pattern because reincarnation occurs to people of all religions on the planet so it's a matter of we need to have many 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 lifetimes to get rid of our judgmental nature to get rid of our hatefulness to get rid of our belief that we are separate from others we have to have the experience of being black in order to realize what it feels like when somebody is negative and pejorative about black people. So then we give ourselves that experience. Yeah. And and we, you know, there are so many areas in life where we fall short routinely, that we just need to come back again and again and have that experience until we fully grasp what it means.
0: So, other than going through, you know, uh, spontaneous nitrous oxide, depth into this, how do people kind of learn these things about themselves?
1: Well, one of the one of the ways is, of course, to pay attention to these unusual urges and stirrings. And you, if you if you have never been a musician and suddenly you find yourself drawn to buying a violin, for example, you can be pretty sure that you have one of yourselves that is a fabulous musician, or you would not be prompted or pulled into that area. Uh, The easiest way really is if you pay attention to your dreams, you, you will see yourself in other lifetimes. You will see yourself in other kind of apparel from another lifetime, from another century. You will find yourself with problems that are unique to a certain people, or you will even find yourself speaking a foreign language comfortably. So if you pay attention to that, you will see yourself in other lifetimes. That's another way. So I went through regressive hypnosis with the Jungian analyst. That's another way. Okay. Uh, the nitrous, of course, was another way. And then there's people like Ram Das and Timothy Leary and they did it with LSD. right? Massive doses of LSD and then they saw the infinite that way. There are so many ways to do it. There are so many ways to encourage it and once I was standing at the kitchen sink early in the morning washing dishes. All of a sudden, I felt myself a nine-year-old boy sitting on a roof in London at the time of Queen Victoria's coronation. And I could feel the slate on the roof. I could smell the moist, pungent air. I heard the music of the approaching procession. And as this kid sitting up on the roof, I was so excited about this. But the whole thing lasted only one minute. And then nothing else. I, ha- I was not able to find out anything else about this boy. And he may very well have tumbled off the roof that day. It was pretty steep where he was perched. That might have been his last day. But um, that was a very interesting way for me to see another life. Then I also went to a master hypnotist who was no longer alive. He just died a couple of years ago, Dick Sutton. He was very, very famous in the 70s, 80s, and 90s and wrote books. He took one hundred of us down through the hypnosis in a ballroom in Houston in 1983, and I had gone expressly wanting to know why am I moving around so much in this lifetime? I have moved more than thirty times, you know. But born in Germany, moved to Canada, moved to the United States, lived in eight different states, and frequent, frequent moves, and not knowing why is this happening? Why is this? So this. Hypnotist told us at the beginning, I want you to focus on a relatively stress free life because there's so many of you here that if one of you gets into some cataclysmic experience, I won't be able to help everybody. And so he starts to count us down. And then, as the magic of his hypnosis started to work in me, I saw myself as a 15 year old girl living in France in the 11th century. And this girl was married off to a man 20 years older than her. She had no say in the matter. He gave her three sons, and then he died. And she was left with this enormous big farm. And she was the happiest, most blissful human being I have ever known. She was completely at ease with where she was in life. She didn't feel the need to go move to another place to find herself you know, no deep introspection. She was just so comfortable and happy with her life and so productive that I, I, he, uh, the hypnotist progressed us five years at a time. And so I got to see her last moment on earth where she's in this bed, looking at these beautiful windows that have floor-to-ceiling tapestries on them, which she herself had made when she was younger. and And just leaving, you know, with this feeling of satisfaction. Of a life well lived. So that was another experience that I saw a life.
0: Interesting. Yeah, it seems like there's kind of a lot to read into, you know, if you're like, oh, you have these frequent dreams, or if you go to see a therapist or, or a hypnotist, or if you, you know, do any of these things, it's kind of a lot to to track down, I guess, for your average person.
1: Well, the average person may not realize, may, may be living just on the surface of life, but if you go just a little bit deeper, and the, the experience that I had, my initial experience on a nitrous basically taught me that the way I'm seeing life with my eyes as solid objects is not accurate, right? It's really all energy, but our eyes deceive us, our senses deceive us, right? We come into these bodies. And we are kind of like on the surface of life and not really looking beneath it. And if you really need to look beneath this to get the full flavor of life.
0: Okay. And once you're in touch, you know, assumably we have a lot of these, if you're reaching back to the, you know, 11th century, like assumably there's a lot of these to go through. Is this the kind of thing where you, you find that spark of passion for something should you chase that for a moment? Or is that like, if you chase all of these, you're going to be broke, but full of hobbies.
1: I I have a good example of that, Colton. And one of them was, um, it was about 15 years ago. And I went into a piano store. I just, I love the sound of a piano. And I went to get a keyboard, an electronic keyboard for about a thousand bucks. But instead, they were out of keyboards. They didn't have the electronic keyboards, but there was this young man and he said, would you like for me to let you listen to how this piano over here sounds? And he went to this concert grand. It was an enormous piano. And he sat down and he played Boogie Woogie and I mean, he just blew me away. It was so marvelous. I had to have that piano, but I wasn't a pianist, right? So I, the piano arrives, I take piano lessons for six months and I completely convinced myself that I have no aptitude for playing the piano. But in the meantime I have bought this exquisite instrument right which my friends now can come and play. Uh, there was another example of the boat, you know my yearning to learn how to sail and not knowing where it came from but I followed up on it I went and I bought the boat and I learned to sail and here it is Fritz this Nazi self whose primary passion in life was sailing that and I didn't know that at the time. I just followed this guidance that I was receiving.
0: So is it something you're supposed to do? Like, are you supposed to learn more about these things that you've done before? Or are you supposed to avoid them to try and like gain new experiences?
1: It's a little of each, really. I'm not sure that it, it was imperative that I buy a boat and go off sailing. I mean, I did this twice. First, I did it in 95. And I just learned how to sail the boat. But then in 2018, I really got serious about this. I bought a boat to live on. And so then I bought this boat, and I sailed it to the Caribbean from Florida uh, and lived on the boat in the Caribbean. And my friends were aghast. I mean, they were just appalled. And they tried to talk me out of it. You know, how can you do this? They really went to great lengths to discourage me. And I was... I felt compelled almost that I had to do this. So to the degree that it calls you to do, I would listen to that. And if it's not going to destroy you, if it's not going to harm you, then I would follow up on it and, and, and see where it takes you. I mean, the importance of my knowing about that life in Nazi Germany is not so that I could become a better sailor. It's so that I could be more mindful when I engage in prejudicial thinking. So it's helpful to see these other selves and see how they're affecting you.
0: Kind of a deeper look to identify and understand some some life lessons without having to live that life again.
1: That's exactly right. To the degree that you're able to uh, to benefit from other selves, it is good to be able to identify them. And eventually, we will all be able to identify our other lifetimes. It, it'll happen. And more and more people are rising into this consciousness as time goes on. But you have to at least acknowledge the possibility that these other lifetimes exist or you will just discount anything that you get that suggests them to you, right? You'll just blow it off. You'll say, I, I don't know what that was about. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like this feeling of deja vu, right? If you have been walking down a boulevard in Paris and you say to yourself, oh my God, this feels so familiar. When did I do this before? That's another clue. And then I I was born unable to breathe. Uh, I had scarlet fever. I had to spend a year in the hospital right after I was born. And I mean, I didn't realize, of course I didn't realize what that was tied to, but I was conceived three weeks after Fritz was hung and it left an impression. And so if you look at, like, Ian Stevenson's, he did 2,500 studies on reincarnational cases. And he actually went, like, to India where he interviewed people and their families to do this. He discovered that in some instances where the death was traumatic, uh, there is indications in the body of the new person that has a residue of what happened to the other one. No, it's it's good to know it's just good to to be able to put yourself into context
0: yeah it's very interesting it it made me wonder like how long is the the turnaround time right in this reincarnation cycle cuz I'm like can I just look backwards to say like oh this is my birthday who died on my birthday and then start like running down searches from that or is it like there's a time window like you'd said you know 3 weeks
1: I don't believe it really hinges on any particular time. It's more—it's more determined by how insistent is the personality in coming back. And I believe Fritz came back in a hurry because he wanted to tell people something, you know, I, like the golden rule. I mean, you know, if you look at the the, um, the Lord's prayer, right, the do unto others, judge not that you not that you not be judged, right forgive as you will be forgiven. It's, it's right there. I mean, the instructions for how to conduct yourself are right there, but people don't think of that in terms of you're going to have a lot of lifetimes in which you will regret the behavior you carried on over there. Right.
0: Yeah. And it seems like, especially in these, these days that we live in, we have so much access to so much, you know, wisdom that we've built over centuries worth of time and is just all compiled down we take very little time to look at that and that seems like it might set us back a bit
1: well there are those of us on the planet that are taking more and more time about this and that's really good uh back in the 1970s i i came upon the writings of jane roberts and she channeled somebody called seth s-e-t-h To me, it's the most profound teachings on the planet because Seth was teaching even back then, your thoughts create your reality, and that was so liberating to me. How does this happen? That my thoughts are creating my well, it's because of the law of attraction. What you focus on, you bring towards you. And then I wanted to experiment. Well, how does this work? And so I was in the process of creating an employment agency for insurance personnel, and I had no knowledge as to what the insurance personnel did. I don't know why I was attracted to that, but I decided I would do this. Right. So I spent enormous hours stretched out on my sofa, imagining employment agency. No, not employment. The uh, insurance company personnel managers calling me with job openings. The phone is ringing off the hook. I'm imagining applicants going on interviews. I'm imagining checks coming into my bank account. I'm imagining splendidly huge quantities of hours, but my personality, I was so shy and introverted. For me to pick up the phone and make a single call, I had to encourage myself with three cigarettes and half a cup of coffee. that was like, if if you can do this, you you can have the cigarettes so that It took me up up until the end of my second year, Colton, before I realized you have to combine the the imaginings with the physical undertaking. And once you have that in harmony and you're doing both drawing to yourself with your mind and the actual follow-up with your activity, then it clicks. So in my third year, it finally took off. And that's just one example of putting to work the amazing teachings of Seth.
0: Very interesting. it kind of makes me think of, you know, as you were talking about karma earlier, when most people think like, if you put bad out, you get bad back. Right.
1: I have an example of that. I mean, my life has had examples of instant karma. And one of the stories is, I hooked up with this gentleman who had recently been married, and regretfully so, and he wanted to get away from this wife. It was his fifth wife, wife number five, and he had bought a Cadillac that he was in the process of paying off for her. And he had given her a very expensive diamond ring, and he told me she can keep the diamond ring, but she is not keeping this car, because I still have $9,000 in payments, so we're going to take this car. And he didn't ask her, he didn't tell her, you know, he just exchanged cars. And then he intended for me to drive that car. And I was kind of a small foreign car girl. I mean, I've had Volkswagens, a Carmen Gear, an Opel Cadet, little tiny cars. I didn't like big American cars. And there I am with this big American car that he has basically stolen from wife number five. And so we're in Louisiana, and I'm coming home one day with groceries in the trunk. And this Cajun on drugs just smashes into the back of me going 65 miles an hour while I am stationary, waiting for a break in traffic to go left across the lanes. So, I mean, this car was demolished, just demolished. And I felt so relieved to have it gone. (laughs) But obviously the woman whose husband I had carried away was more upset about the car. Then she was about the guy, right? Yep, but this yep. is an example of instant karma. Yeah, I mean,
0: that's I, <laughs> it's a fun story.
1: I have hundreds of fun stories in the book. Let me tell you another one. Uh, we were living in Louisiana, Jim and I, and we had started playing with a Ouija board. And this entity came up, Mimi, who said that she had been his... His wife, I think, 200 years earlier, right? So we're talking about like the middle 1700s where she said they had been pioneers that had traveled west and she had apparently died of a cat bite in in what became Texas. And we had so much fun with Mimi and her stories. And then one day when Jim went to work, his co-worker Doc, that was his nickname, didn't show up. And he was always very punctual. And so Jim at lunchtime went to Doc's house and looking through all the windows, he saw Doc was dead in his bed. And Jim was so upset about this. He came home so shook up that I said, well, let's let's talk to Mimi and let's find out what happened. So we get Mimi on the board and I say to her, and, and she says, yes, I'm here. and I'm here with Doc. Okay. So I say, what happened? How did... How did he die? What, you know, she said, well, he had a heart attack. And I said, when did this happen? And she gave me a very precise time, 2.13 in the morning. And while we were still on the board, we got a call from the place that had taken the body. And they wanted a suit of clothing. So I had also asked Mimi to give me the name of a doctor. I, I thought maybe we could get a hold of Doc's doc, doctor and, you know, get some insight that way. She gave me this name, Lavelle Fabier. It was a French name, and I couldn't find it in the phone book. And so I was beginning to have doubts, you know, that she was misleading us or not accurate. So we went to this place, and they had Doc's body in the basement in a glass-enclosed room. And as we got into the basement, and I looked around at the wall, this is a really old building. There, embedded in the wall, was like this 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 concrete thing with a name, and the name was Laurel Fabier. I don't know. Now I've got the shivers going through me, right? I mean, she didn't give us the name of a doctor. She gave us the name of whoever that was that had that building when it was first built, whose name was engraved in the basement walls. So she must, it was like she was standing there looking around, and that's the name she saw, right? But this is another example of how you can be in touch with the other dimensions, and you know, some people say, "Oh, the Ouija board—you attacked evil spirits." And uh, I don't really believe in evil spirits. I think there are people on the planet who make mistakes. Lots of us make mistakes, and it's just we are not enlightened enough to realize the impact our actions have on others. Right, like Fritz—he—he uh, he ended up being Germany's plenty potential of labor the last three years of World War II. And in that capacity, he kept Germany's war efforts going three years longer than it ought to have. right? Because he's dragging people into Germany to take the place of all of these German men that have fallen on the battlefield that can no longer man the machines in the in the big uh, factories. But what he was what he was not taking into account is that in keeping Germany going the way he did, It also kept Hitler's killing machine going, right? All of those people dying in Auschwitz, Sobibor, Belzenbergen, all these places, it it just kept everything going longer. So indirectly, he is responsible for lives lost because he participated in the machinery that allowed the efforts to keep going.
0: And I'm sure talking about this, you know, especially like writing a book, coming on shows like this, I'm sure you've heard, you know, or felt in the past, some kind of pushback from people who are just like, I don't, I don't subscribe to this way of thinking, or I don't think this is how it works, or you're talking to demons on the Ouija board, like something like that. Have you had much of that?
1: I haven't had a lot because I'm just starting now. I I waited until the book was published to reach out to the all those media hosts that I met through the summit, uh, I waited to to reach out to them until the book was actually published. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I haven't had a whole lot of feedback. I do know that there is a lively debate right now about time being simultaneous. In other words, you know, it's not a stream from 1100 to 3000, you know, going in one direction only. It's that we are able to live in any time frame that we wish. We may feel drawn to the 10th century France, right? And then we can do that with our next life. We can pick that particular time and place. But what we're seeing now is the Einstein theory of quantum mechanics coming into this discussion, right? So the wiser people than me are saying time is simultaneous and the difference between my dimension and Fritz's is only one of the way the energy is, is working itself through. And I am not smart enough to understand quantum physics, and I don't purport to. And I will defer to the wiser heads than mine. Uh, but now also, I am really becoming interested in how the law of attraction is going to work itself through in terms of like the holocaust remembrance because what the law of attraction says is what you focus on you get more of now i'm trying to put together in this book or trying to say in this book can we find a different way to commemorate the victims because by constantly focusing on victimhood we're going to create more of the same and yet we don't want to we don't want to brush it under the rug we don't want to sweep it away we want to acknowledge this happened and it's a learning experience for us, but we don't want to recreate it, right? And now I'm perceiving more anti-Semitism coming into the world again. And how do how do we deal with this? How do we look at that? How do we work with that? How can we eliminate some of this? Right? We have to be mindful of how our thoughts create our realities in order to be able to affect a change, a meaningful change here.
0: I think that's very interesting. Is there any kind of tips that you give, you know, in talking to people or in in doing any of these other interviews, where you're like, these are the kind of things I would focus on, you know, like your passions or your drives or just any kinds of tips like that?
1: I basically in the the uh, the epilogue, I basically tell people there are several ways that you can be in touch with your other selves, and you and I have talked about them, uh, which is. Primarily through your dreams, because you're dreaming every single night. And a lot of people pay no attention to their dreams unless it's so terrifying to them or so uplifting to them, in which case they might make note of it. But if you make a study of your dreams, you will find you will see yourself in other lifetimes. You will also have precognitive dreams in which you will see the future about 10% of my dreams when I recorded them were precognitive. And that seems to be about average. So dreaming, I think, is probably the easiest way for anybody to see themselves in other lifetimes. Uh, Hypnosis is a little bit more proactive because you're getting somebody else involved. And then uh, there is meditation. You can meditate and see yourself in these other lifetimes. when you read a book and you feel really excited or drawn to a particular time frame, you can see yourself that way also. And then you have the passions that come into you, right? And when you are just completely knocked over, blown away by a passion that you don't recognize as yours, that is a very strong clue to you. There's another lifetime talking through you. Very
0: interesting. Well, I hope people can look into this and I've appreciated having you on the show. I wanted to make sure that we talk about your book and what it's called and where people can find it if they're looking for
1: more. Uh, It is called It Takes Many Lifetimes From Nazi to Empath. And it is on Amazon. It is available in softcover, hardcover, ebook. It's even available as a Kindle Unlimited, which means that you can read to your heart's content without paying for it. And I would encourage everyone who's interested in the topic to avail themselves of this wonderful book.
0: Yes, absolutely. And if they do pick it up and if you enjoy this book, I always tell people, please just take a moment of your time. It's just going to take a minute, maybe, to leave a good review because that helps promote authors like yourself up higher where more people get to see you.
1: That is so sweet of you. But I I would say it takes a little bit more than a moment because first you have to get into Amazon, then you have to find the book. And you have to go to the place where it tells you, where you can leave the review. It took me, I think, about five minutes to get to that place. So needing to be completely honest here, I would really appreciate anybody taking that five minutes to write me a review. And thank you so much for your time today, Colton.
0: Yes, of course. It was a pleasure having you on here. I appreciate it.
1: Pleasure for me as well.
0: So that was the episode. What do you think? Have we all experienced past lives and diverse experiences? Or do we just get one trip on this big planet? I always want to believe in the fantastical, no matter the evidence. It won't change the way I live my life, but what's the harm in just humoring the possibility? We've reached the end of June, a bit slower than the months before it, with the following rankings. Number one, the United States, with Texas, Kentucky, and California as top states. Not sure what happened to New York and Oregon at the end there. Number two, the United Kingdom, still led by Scotland. Number three, Australia, with Victoria just barely staying ahead of New South Wales. Number four, Canada, with Ontario way at the top. And number five, Sweden, with Stockholm crushing the others. That's it for this week. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you all back here for the next episode, about the same time that America blows up the sky. It's Independence Day next week for those unaware, and the U.S. loves launching colored dynamite into the sky to celebrate. Until the next episode, please do all those things that help the show... Rating, reviewing, liking, subscribing, and don't be afraid to reach out, dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or any of the social medias if you want to reach me personally. Most importantly, stay dumb.